0: Well, good evening, everybody. My name is Amy, and I'm the executive pastor here. It's a joy to be together, even over Zoom. And I want to issue a special welcome to our kids who may or may not have tuned out by now. But if you are still listening, last week I invited you to imagine, like, the best feast that your brain could possibly conjure up. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that this week. So I want to invite you now to think, what are the ingredients that go into that meal. And where do they come from? They might come from animals. They might come from the dirt. They might come from like an exotic grocery store. So why don't you make a list or draw a chart of where the ingredients for that feast would come from? Well, last week I started a two-part sermon series on Isaiah 55, that beautiful passage that we heard read just a few minutes ago. And I talked about how this chapter was written for people in exile, for the Israelites when they were held captive in Babylon, when they were far from their home and far from their holy places. And then I talked about how we, too, are people in exile. And in this pandemic in particular, we are longing for our holy places, like for our church buildings, to be sure, but also for the holiness of Face-to-face human contact, hands on shoulders, hugs. I attended a Zoom funeral yesterday for a friend, and everything about it was just so wrong, so sad. These screens and the Internet just weren't enough for human grief, for human memory, just sad. And So in so many ways, our old ways of life feel really far away, And it's easy for God to feel far away, too. It's easy to feel exiled. But then the prophet Isaiah calls to us in our exile, and he says, Hey, I know it's been a long time since things felt normal, since you felt at home in the world. But don't forget who you are. Don't forget who God made you to be. Don't forget the story that you are a part of. And so last week, we looked at that first part of Isaiah 55, where God invited us to come and eat, to be forgiven and restored at his table. And now this week, we're going to focus on the second part of chapter 55. And this part, we get up from the table. We go out into the fields with God. He shows us where all the ingredients of our feast came from, how he is tending them, how he is growing them. And then he invites us to actually work in those fields, to be a part of his harvest. And so taken all together, Isaiah 55 is like this field to table feast. It's like the best episode of Chef's Table. It's like God is our master chef, and God is our master gardener, and then like all of my favorite Chef's Table episodes, his meal is telling a story. But this story is not about elite foodies, It's not about people with thousands of dollars to blow, or with plane tickets to Copenhagen or Denmark, or months to wait on a table reservation. Although, if that is you, please invite me. No, this story is about God redeeming the world with the most humble ingredients, with the most ordinary people, the kind of people who show up to the table broke and hungry. People like us. And these verses are explaining how God's exile feast is possible. That they're possible because God is absolutely trustworthy. Everything he has ever said he will do, he will do. And he's trustworthy because he has absolute authority over all of creation, every last inch. And it's all working together to bring about his purposes and our good. It's like God is saying, oh, you're hungry? No problem. I have invented this nifty little thing called weather. I'm going to send some rain. I'm going to germinate some seeds. I'm going to grow up some wheat, and it's going to get pounded into flour and made into bread, and you can eat. There you go. And just like we can trust God to feed us, we can trust him to redeem us, and we can trust him to set the world right, which he is promising all through Scripture that he will do. So it's really good news for us that God is our master farmer and our master chef. It means we are well taken care of. It means we might be exiles. We might be ashamed or broken, messed up, whatever, but we can feast. We can rest. We can hope because we can trust him. And then the passage gets interesting because God isn't just sending out his word. He isn't just sending out the weather. He's also sending out us. Listen to the last two verses. For you, you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar, shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. God is sending us, you and me, into his fields to participate in this work of setting the world right. And these verses are this poetic picture of what that world set right looks like. Of what God's kingdom looks like in all its fullness what God's redemption of the world will one day look like, something that in this life we work for, we hope for, but we only catch like glimpses and tastes of. And Isaiah talks about how trees are going to grow where thorns used to be. And his audience would have remembered where those thorns came from, that they started way back in Eden in God's original field-to-table garden because back then, his people trusted the serpent more than they trusted God. And he told them that from then on, the ground would give them thorns. And that just getting what they needed to eat would be sweat and toil. But then here in Isaiah 55, there's no toil. There's just joy and peace and singing. And the thorns just shrink back and the trees just sprout up with like the lightest human step. How is this possible? Well, like all church questions, the answer is Jesus. Jesus took all the consequences from that original garden moment of distrust on himself. Jesus took those thorns and he wore them on his head as he died a humiliating death on the cross. And then Jesus rose again, he defeated death, and those cursed thorns became his crown. And he assumed his reign as king over all creation. And then he got to work, setting it right again. Well, I love that the wise people who hundreds and hundreds of years ago decided to put our lectionary together, the lectionaries like the order of Sunday readings that we follow, I love that they decided to put Isaiah's words to the exiles with these parables of Matthew 13. Because they go together so well. They round out this field-to-table picture. So last week we read that parable of the sower. and We talked about needing to create a little patch of earth in our lives where God's seeds can grow. And this week we get the parable of the wheat and weeds. Now, this is my kind of parable. It's weird. It's kind of dark and bleak. It has some kind of obscure Old Testament references. And I could talk for a really long time about it, but I won't. I just want to point out two things. The first one, and this is obvious, is that in this parable, it says, The field is the world, and the wheat and the weeds grow up together. They are all tangled up. There is evil, and there is God's good. And we know and we feel that every day. We probably know and feel that every day of 2020, more than in most years, but we know it. God's good work of restoring creation is all tangled up and sometimes really hard to see in this world of persistent evil. And God's people that He's called into His work, people that are supposed to be wheat, are supposed to be these sources of nourishment for a hungry world, sometimes they are hard to tell apart from the weeds. People who do not nourish, people who only overpower what's around them. Can you imagine how depressing it would be to watch this field grow, to see what you planted just get? overtaken by weeds, and to just wait. Can you imagine how embarrassing it would be for your reputation as a farmer if your field looked like this? It would look like you had no idea what you were doing. It's so weedy and meager and just terrible. But that brings me to the second thing that I want to point out in this parable, which is that this farmer is so utterly unanxious about this field. He is so patient. He is so gentle. He knows his timing. Now, that's not my response. I see the evil, I see the weeds, and I just want to get down in the dirt and rip them out. Or, even better, I want God to rip them out. But then when I think about the soil of my own heart, I think about how completely tangled up in me the wheat and the weeds are how my good motives and my bad motives and my invisible subconscious motives that I don't even know about, how they're all growing up together. And then I feel really grateful for this picture of these angels carefully disentangling these root systems so that every last bit of evil in the end is going to be removed and burned and every tiny sprout of God's good work is going to be preserved and harvested. I want God to be this gentle and this patient with me. But it turns out that means I have to accept him being that gentle and that patient with everybody. Well, on Friday, we lost a really good, a really tall and nourishing stalk of wheat when Congressman John Lewis died. John Lewis was a civil rights hero. He was a freedom writer. He marched with Dr. King in Selma and in Washington, D.C. And John Lewis was captivated by this vision of God's harvest, at God's work of setting the world right. And he once described the first time he heard Dr. King preach about that vision. He said this, Every minister I'd ever heard talked about over yonder, where we'd put on white robes and golden slippers and sit with the angels. But this man was talking about dealing with the problems people were facing right now, specifically black lives in the South. And so then John Lewis spent his whole life protecting black lives, dealing with those problems, confronting racism and injustice and evil wherever he saw them. He understood this is how we get that over yonder here. This is the redemptive work that God is sending his people out to do in Isaiah 55. And even though John Lewis was attacked and insulted and beaten and jailed, he refused to violently rip up the weeds. Even when he was accused of being too patient, even when his colleagues changed tactics and moved on, he remained committed to nonviolence to real reconciliation and even friendship between blacks and whites. He is this incredible picture for us of patient, trusting work in the fields, and this unwavering hope that someday we can feast together at God's table. God is our master farmer. He is sowing and tending his fields. He is working toward a harvest, the full restoration of the entire world. And God is a master chef. He is preparing a table where all the hungry can feast. And God is inviting us to participate in every single part of this field-to-table work. So let's pray. God, will you make us good soil? Will you make us strong and tall stalks of wheat? Will you bring us to harvest as bread for the world? And will you make us faithful workers in your field so that we will invite many, many people to rest and feast at your table? Amen.